Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm not. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode and a good one. Yeah, this one is, this one's a doozy. (laughs) Yes, Sam is constantly finding the craziest articles just across the board and I'm really excited or well this isn't necessarily an exciting topic um but it's definitely one that I think should be talked about and so I'm happy that we're bringing it on today yeah um I I think I saw this I think it just like popped up on my New York Times app or I saw it on LinkedIn I'm not sure but I saw this article by the New York Times and it was basically talking about how political leaders from both ends of the spectrum have been focusing efforts on like being able to eliminate homeless camps. Um, The article is called In Rare Alliance, Democrats and Republicans Seek Legal Power to Clear Homeless Camps, which I think is really important. A lot of people talk about like sweeps and stuff like that. And now kind of the legal backing to why people weren't able to like legally do that before is coming under pressure. So political leaders are seemingly more than ever taking issue with unhoused people taking up public space, restricting residents from being able to or wanting to utilize public areas. And past court rulings have protected civil rights of homeless individuals across the country. But now officials and business owners are asserting that the long-term urban camping that is occurring has overwhelming negative effects. And there was a quote in the article, and I think Um, I'm just going to read it and we can like debrief, but the quote is the friction in many communities affected by homelessness is at a breaking point. Despite massive infusions of public resources, businesses and residents are suffering the increasingly negative effects of long-term urban camping. And obviously like you working in LA and me working in San Francisco, like I'm sure we've seen this come to fruition. Like we've seen it happen. And I think it's a really like, interesting place where it's like obviously we don't just want to like kick people out like we want to give them help and like give them the resources that they need to like be successful but also like when I am on public transit and like I'm in an uncomfortable situation like that's also not fun so like there's it's it's at like a really interesting point I feel like it is for sure I also I think that it's under it's understood on the side of public concern just because of how severe the homelessness crisis has gotten in so many spaces. And I sympathize with folks who, you know, are facing kind of a deterrence to utilize public areas because of the, like just the overcrowding of these homeless encampments on the other side where are they going to go? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when the sweep happens or when the relocations occur, that's all they are is relocations. And the question ends up being where, because we don't have enough housing to house these individuals. Shelters are at capacity in a lot of areas. And so it's often with headlines like this or with like discussions around this, oh, we're, you know, we're coming in and we're going to, 
kind of sweep it out in all these different areas. And there's mass agreement around that. But what's the plan for when you relocate these folks, where are they going and what's going to happen? Right. You know, on the kind of other side of the argument, just going back to this article, you have advocates for homeless rights that say we need to focus more on helping homeless individuals and providing them with housing. And so they're quoted here saying that homeless rights advocates agreed that tent encampments were unsafe, both for their vulnerable occupants and the communities around them. But they also said that gathering the legal campaign was merely an attempt to fall back, excuse me, on time-worn government crackdowns rather than pursue the obvious solution, which is more help and more housing. Furthermore, the article quotes saying they're seeking to blame and penalize and marginalize the victims rather than take the steps they haven't found the political will to take, said Eric Tars, senior policy director for the National Homelessness Law Center. They are essentially aligning themselves with former President Donald Trump and others on the right who want to criminalize homelessness, he said. Communities are free to address homelessness through any of the many evidence-based approaches that can solve and end it. The only thing they can't do is arrest or cite homeless people without bothering to give them any alternative. So this issue was previously viewed as a partisan one, as it is regularly a conservative stance to remove homeless people from public spaces. However, now we do have Democratic politicians that are reversing their opinions as the issue grows more and more prevalent. So this issue is essentially leaders across the country right now who are pleading to have justices allow them to remove people from the streets without running into court rulings, which originally, which Sam is going to go into in a little bit, these court rulings have protected the civil rights of those homeless individuals to remain in encampments um, on the streets. And so essentially, this is what's being requested to be overturned. And Sam, I'll let you just kind of dive into to the next. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit confusing because we have seen sweeps happen yes. before, but there are constant sweeps, which right. is so alarming. I remember just right living in Riverside, we would, we, I was just telling you, we had the um, police come in to give like a presentation on how they've been addressing homelessness. And one thing that they did talk about was they would have their SWAT team go out and do sweeps. And Mm -hmm. this was to remove, you know, certain homeless encampments from public parks and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And they also discussed giving citations, which reading this article seems illegal. Right. The legalities are a little muddy for me. Right. Absolutely. So this is, this is very interesting. Yeah. Um, so just to like back up a little bit, obviously homelessness has increasingly overwhelmed state and local governments across the country. Um, in California alone, more than 170,000 people are homeless accounting for about one third of the nation's homeless population. And more than 115,000 of those homeless, more than 115,000 of those homeless Californians sleep on the streets, in cars or outdoors in places not intended for habitation, according to a federal tally of homelessness conducted last year. Yeah. So go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say point in time counts are really important because they do kind of give us a really good idea of how many people are on the streets 
on a given night and they're very methodical. Um, I was going to participate in the one in Riverside when I was an undergrad and it was just reading the methodology. There's so much that goes into a point in time count. So these numbers are really stark and they highlight an extremely problematic issue, particularly in the state of California. And obviously in more urban centered areas, this is where you see some of the largest crises happening with the homeless population. Um, it's just, it's really hard for me to kind of grasp the fact that there are so many people who do not have housing and, you know, you and I are constantly talking about the arena numbers and all of these issues surrounding the fact that we have a housing shortage, but just kind of seeing them on paper, it's just, it's really, really hard to even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think like reiterating, we used to do this a lot more when we started the podcast, but just like supporting local organizations that are like providing services or like necessities to people who are unhoused and just like making sure that you're helping when you can. Like, obviously it's like, we are talking about this as two people who are housed. So it's like, we come at it from like one like kind of side, but to like really, I feel like for us, it's really important to talk about like all the organizations that are doing really great work and like looking into local organizations is really important. Absolutely. And also these point in time counts often come from city organize like organizations that are within the city in which you live. So mm-hmm. going onto city websites and finding those resources and finding the organizations that you can help in any way to participate as a volunteer or, you know, not just for point in time counts, but in general, just finding ways you don't have to financially support, but yeah. following or making sure that you're just aware of just how bad this is getting. And I think the scarier part for me is the fact that we are not only dealing with a homeless crisis, but again, with a housing shortage resulting in what people are calling a housing crisis. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it makes you wonder how many more people are going to be pushed out of their housing and are going to end up homeless. And this is where things get really complicated when you are imagining already how bad conditions are. It's just, yeah. But we've been a little bit confused about the legalities, but we do want to talk about them. And so Sam, I don't know if you want to start us off with kind of going into the legal history of, you know, this, of what, what has led us to this ultimate new decision that's coming forward. Yeah. So Five years ago, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit ruled in a case from Boise, Idaho, that it was unconstitutional for cities to clear homeless camps and criminally charge campers unless they could offer adequate housing. In the nine Western states covered by the circuit, that ruling has since prompted billions, with a B, billions of dollars of public spending on homelessness. Even so, very few cities in the West have enough shelter beds to serve everyone who is homeless in their jurisdictions, and that gap has made officials wary of enforcing local laws that prohibit individuals from setting up tents anywhere in public, which is kind of like a caveat. So I think there's there could be an argument in some of these places that are doing sweeps like, oh, we have capacity, so that's why it's legal. Like that, I'm, I don't know if that's true, but it's like 
something that I guess is kind of like a loophole. It's like you can offer the shelter bed if people choose not to take it, then that's one thing. If not, you know, they can have shelter, but um, that's it. That's like an interesting caveat. Yeah. Um, all told, more than 50 governments and organizations asked the high court this month, which was, which is, I believe this article came out in October, um, to overturn the Ninth Circuit's recent decisions. Yeah, so <clears throat> these recent filings stem from a case that focuses on whether the small city of Grants Pass in Oregon can write citations when people camp in public spaces such as sidewalks, playgrounds, and parks. So unlike Boise, Grants Pass had issued civil citations rather than pursuing criminal charges until the Ninth Circuit determined that municipal tickets were also forbidden absent sufficient shelter beds. So I guess it does seem to be the case that there are jurisdictions that are issuing citations, whether they're legal or not. Right. Um, so we have more than 40% of the nation's homeless population now residing in the nine Western states within the Ninth Circuit, according to federal statistics. Besides Governor Newsom, some of the most liberal jurisdictions in the circuit, including San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Honolulu, have joined with some of the most conservative in calling for Supreme Court intervention, a rarity in an age of extreme political polarization. This is very crazy because mm -hmm. of the current state of our our just our political climate in general. Yeah. But I think it does really just highlight how severe this is getting. Mm -hmm. And again, as I said, I am, it's very cognizant. It's a safety issue. Mm -hmm. It's, there's just so many different challenges when you do have encampments on the street. It, mm -hmm. it does make things very challenging. And I yeah. do understand from a jurisdictional perspective, from a city's perspective, I understand how those challenges are because you do have kind of your constituents that right. are really grappling with this, but you want to be also aware of the fact that these are people who literally do not have a house to live in. And so right. there is a big challenge in yeah. kind of trying to, you know, deal with a situation like this. So it's, you know, I want to be understanding of where these cities are being pushed mm -hmm. at the same time. I just feel such sympathy for the fact that these are individuals who are literally on the streets. Yeah. Um, and we've heard so many times how difficult it really is to try and make a point of contact with a homeless individual, how many times it takes someone to have to interact with that individual before they can get them to mm -hmm. accept help. Um, because you have these, ind these individuals are not just homeless. They're often, there are different, you know, challenges that they're facing, whether it be, you know, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, mental health problems, you know, all of these different things. And so it does take a lot of work and effort and the solution always ends up seeming a lot more complicated, you know, when you're trying to address this challenge and yeah, it's just, this is a, this is a big one. Yeah. And I mean, I think I've definitely talked to a decent amount of people about like, just like issues like this, especially since like starting my urban planning yeah. education. And I feel like the the one side, like, you know, often comes down to like, well, I'm spending my tax dollars on the city. We've put billions, as they said, dollars into this. Like we haven't really seen anything like 
substantial in terms of like really being able to offer help. Like I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are like grassroots organizations, advocacy groups, but like in terms of like the city being able to like concrete offer a lot of solutions, I feel like there hasn't been a lot. So I feel like there is a lot of like people who are kind of getting like, well, why is this still a problem? Like, even if they are like very empathetic to like people who are unhoused, it's like, well, I'm also paying into this. Like, I want to be able to enjoy like this, whatever location. And like, I don't know, there's no like good way and of talking about this. And I just feel like it's becoming like a very contentious thing when really it's just about like people's lives that we are failing. Like we are failing people by not offering these solutions and not like having affordable housing and shelter beds and supportive housing. And like that really, I mean, whether or not the Supreme Court decides to make this like a, like legal to, you know, basically cite people for existing in a world that they cannot afford. It's like, I don't know. It makes me mad, but also it's like such a multifaceted and con- like hard to solve issue. Absolutely. It is. It is. And one thing it really makes me think about, though, is obviously it's not a matter of we don't have the money. Right. It's clearly that there is some failure of some mm-hmm. kind on the process, strategy, implementation right. of trying to find the solution. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where it gets a bit more frustrating too, as I'm not only someone who's paying into providing these resources and services, but I've, you know, not me like specifically, but taxpayers for years now, this has been a crisis for years now, have been paying into this. At some point, somebody should have said, we're getting a lot of money and a lot of resources being poured into addressing this problem. And it's not, nothing's being solved or, you know, things are not really changing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to rethink our strategies because yeah. obviously there's, there's some kind of, we need to get somebody on to talk about, you know, what are the current strategies that are right. in and why are they not working? Yeah. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are saying like, this is not working, but Absolutely. I think like, I think now we are, it's like so bad that it's like, I don't know how to like, even like articulate, but you make a fair point. (laughs) um, But it is like, I think you don't see many topics nowadays that people from both sides of the political spectrum are agreeing. And so I think that this is definitely something of no, obviously like we don't know what's going to come of this and like this is something that we want to keep keep up on and i don't know it's like just something that i feel like would be would could could be like very detrimental if yes. this is the case but i think that honestly from like the pers- i don't know i think there there would be a lot of people who would be happy if this were legal yeah i hate to say it yeah No, I mean, hate to say it, but you are absolutely right. Yeah. Um, And I think like just to kind of close out, there's a lot of strategies that I think 
are good in the interim mm-hmm. um, in terms of like making sure that people are as safe as they can be um, like harm reduction strategies, which I know are also some can be very controversial. Also like safe injection sites and needle exchange, because there's the argument that it's like making it too easy. Right. Um, but, you know, just these are things that that different cities are trying to implement um, hygiene services, um, which can help address like health and safety concerns associated with people who are in the house um, without kind of resorting to punitive measures. Um, Seattle has a hygiene services for the homeless, which are like mobile hygiene services that include shower facilities and laundry services for people experiencing homelessness. And these services can really help individuals maintain like personal hygiene and dignity, even while living on the streets. So I feel like things like that are kind of like stepping stones. Yeah. Um, they also to- typically with services like that, they have people on site that are able to connect individuals who are experiencing homelessness with other resources and that's also you know there's multiple ways in which you can address one problem as well as addressing kind of the root cause of the problem so you're providing hygiene services while you're also trying to get these people off the streets there's just different you know these services can help so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely one kind of avenue that jurisdictions are looking towards. And I've seen a lot of hygiene services pop up recently. I've also, they've also gotten very popular, um, being showcased on social media. Hmm. Yeah. I've seen a lot of them coming up in different areas around the U S, um, where people are kind of highlighting what these services are and what what's offered there. So there are additional opportunities being called out to address homelessness, which do include supportive housing that combines affordable housing with support services, such as mental health treatment and addiction counseling that help homeless individuals address the root causes of their homelessness. This is what I do for work. It is extremely beneficial to know that not only are you providing housing, but in tandem, you are providing supportive services. They there's just a lot of benefits for individuals who are experiencing a vast amount of kind of um associated issues whether it led them to homelessness or not they or whether they you know is that sorry whether their mental illness you know became more prevalent during homelessness whether alcohol abuse came became more prevalent during homelessness or not they're still able to receive those services along with their housing. And so I do think it's an extremely beneficial program uh, that's offered. Mm -hmm. Additionally, investing in prevention services can help individuals and families at risk of homelessness to just allow them to stay housed. This includes financial assistance, legal aid, and mediation services to prevent evictions and foreclosures. This is a big one, especially as I did, you know, call out the cost of housing is not keeping up with wage. That's just a a fact across the board. This does call into question as to whether or not people are going to become pushed out of housing altogether because they simply can't afford it. Wages mm-hmm. not keeping up. And so having prevention services is extremely important. Um, and some cities have also adopted community policing models where law enforcement officers work in collaboration with social workers 
in order to connect people living in homeless camps with services and support. And that's also an extremely important one. Um, And I think finally, I'll just say it for the hundredth time. I think the biggest solution is let's get some housing built. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but that comes with a a lot more behind it. So yeah, this is just, this is a very complicated topic to talk about. And I think you really highlighted it earlier when you mentioned the fact that we really can be very understanding on both sides of the coin, Mm -hmm. you know, folks who are living in a certain community that are having a lot of trouble enjoying their community because of this crisis to no fault of the homeless individuals. These are just individuals that literally do not have another place to go, do not have a place to sleep. Right. Um, And at the same time, being empathetic to, again, acknowledge that these individuals literally have no other place to go. And so what is the solution to, you know, to this overarching problem? Um, And honestly, I wish that, you know, oh, let's build housing was like the easiest solution. It's not, it's extremely Mm -hmm. difficult. Um, But I do want to acknowledge there are so many groups out there that are on the ground addressing this problem right now that have vast amounts of knowledge about the intricacies of these issues and how they can be solved or you know what more can be implemented to help solve this issue mm-hmm. i'm very curious to see what the uh kind of what's going to come out of this mm-hmm. um because when you have bipartisan support essentially yeah for something like this, I am very curious to see what the ruling is going to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, this is just very, very interesting, but does go to show that I think cities are kind of being pushed to their limit. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. And this is something, like I said, we're going to keep following as it unfolds and um yeah absolutely stay tuned and also if you have the time go onto your local jurisdictions webpage start looking for more information um read the new york times article that addresses this and i'm sure you'll find a lot more information and we'll see you on the next one Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>